Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. It's Wednesday, September 13th. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. There's always a lot of buzz when a big tech CEO comes to Capitol Hill. Today, there are nearly a dozen. You've got Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, Satya Nadella from Microsoft and Sundar Pichai from Google, the CEO of NVIDIA, Jensen Huang, and the head of OpenAI, Sam Altman. They're all participating in a forum that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is holding on artificial intelligence. And I expect they'll be making their case for what kind of regulation, or lack of regulation, lawmakers should impose on AI. Ahead of today's meeting, I sat down with one of those tech leaders, Nice Microsoft here. President Brad Smith. On Politico Tech today, Smith tells me what he plans to say at today's meeting and why Microsoft is backing newly proposed AI rules that others in the regulation-averse tech industry are likely to oppose. Brad, thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. Let's start with the the hearing yesterday and the, you know, Senators Richard Blumenthal and Josh Hawley have sort of pitched this proposal for regulating AI that would require companies to obtain a license for kind of their most powerful AI systems. It sounds like you're supportive of that approach, at least generally. Why why are you in favor of that idea? Well, uh, thank you for being here. And I think by and large, it's a sensible approach. It's a positive step, and the framework that the two senators have put together, I think, really can help the Congress advance. You know, specifically, we shouldn't expect someone to get a license for every use of AI or for every AI model. But you know, think of it this way. We live in a country where we each get a driver's license to drive a car. You know, if somebody's going to use AI to build and sell a million driverless cars and put them on the road? Shouldn't that require a license as well? Because when you really think about it, a licensing regime is fundamentally about ensuring a certain baseline of safety, of capability. We have to prove that we can drive before we get a license. If we drive recklessly, we can lose it. You can apply those same concepts, especially to AI uses that will implicate safety. And a licensing regime, I think, has a constructive role to keeping the public safe. Does any of the AI that Microsoft is developing, you think, fall in that that category that should be licensed or, or require a license in some way? I think it's highly likely that the answer would be yes. Um, the, you know, there are certain uh, instances where we're deploying models, for example, that OpenAI is creating. And by definition, OpenAI's advanced models are likely to require a license under this kind of regime. Um, there are certain uses of our other AI service technology that would likely require a license. So in every shape and form that I can conceive of, uh, I think we have to be prepared to practice what we preach, and we are. Well, there was some language I caught in the testimony, essentially to the effect of there were sort of a large variety of details to be to be worked out. You know, I've covered Washington long enough to know uh, what that means is that and, and the devil is often in the details on, on this kind of regulation. So what what is sort of the biggest concern you have with with that approach, either in general or, or specifically as it's being rolled out in this initial iteration? Uh, the number one thing I think we need to think about is how to create a licensing regime that 
advances the goals that we care about, call it safety and security, but does it in a way that enables technology to move quickly, meaning if you have to wait a year for your license application to be approved, then I think that's a problem, and avoids licensing obligations that are too onerous. You never want a licensing regime that only, you know, say, the best resource companies, the largest companies, you know, can pass, just like you wouldn't want a driver's licensing regime that you know, requires that people have to spend a year going to school or write a bigger check, you know, in order to pass. You want something that is accessible to everyone, is safe, but also fast moving and efficient. Well, so you're continuing this AI conversation today with this uh, AI forum that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is is convening, and a lot of big names will be there. In addition to Brad Smith, you have your CEO, Satya Nadella, you've got Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Sam Altman from OpenAI. I mean, when you get in that room, what are you planning to say? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of people more interesting than me. Um, but what I would hope to add myself is some ideas that I hope people will think are thoughtful, that are constructive and helpful in enabling the Senate to start to think more about how to move forward. From my vantage point, it starts with the goals that I would hope the Congress and the government would think about. Let's keep AI safe. Let's address the perils that people worry about. But let's also pursue the promise of AI. Let's use AI to improve medicine and our healthcare system to improve opportunities for teachers and kids in schools. Let's make the government more efficient. Let's stay focused on both sides of the coin, manage the risks, ensure that the public rightly is confident in the products that are being used, and then let's use AI to promote productivity and economic growth and all the other good things that we would hope would come from it. And, and so what's the first tangible step you see to kind of achieving that? Because I, I think that seems there would be bipartisan support for, but what's kind of the, the first step to actually accomplishing that? Well, I think the interesting thing to consider is that the first tangible step has been taken. That was on July 21st at the White House when seven companies, including Microsoft, signed up for eight concrete commitments around AI, you know, uh, commitments around testing, around security, around transparency and the like. And the thing to remember about that is the first meeting with only four companies, including Microsoft, was in May. All of that was done in 78 days. That is a record pace for Washington, D.C. So there are some building blocks that come out of the White House commitments. Now one can begin to take them up to Capitol Hill, that's what's happening, and begin to contemplate legislation. And I think the best way to put together legislation is to build on something like the framework that Senators Blumenthal and Hawley have put together to build on the process of learning that you know, Senator Schumer and, and Speaker McCarthy are both advancing and find common ground. I think if one were to wait to answer every question before going forward with any provision, this will go too slow. So take a first step and keep adding to it quickly. And is that how the White House voluntary guidelines got done so quickly? I, you know, I, I'm wondering how, uh, if, when we get over to Capitol Hill, uh, things tend to move even slower. So how uh, how likely is that they can, or what can they, maybe the question is, what can they do to kind of replicate that speed? I think there are some interesting insights that come out of the White House process. Because they started by asking the four companies what we would propose to do. 
And, you know, interestingly, we were given about a month to you know, make our proposal. And at Microsoft, we were the first to sort of hand in our assignment. And uh, Secretary Raimondo was sort of the uh, the teacher to whom we handed it in in part. And we had a conversation the next day. And she said, congratulations on being first, but this is incomplete. You've got to do more of this. You've got to do more of this. You've got to do more of this. And you've got to do more of this. And we there then worked. And I think that's good. Use the industry to offer an initial view of what is possible so that it is practical, but don't take our first word as the last word. I think it's right that people in government push us to go farther. That's what happened at the White House. I think we'll see something similar in Congress and in other capitals around the world. Secretary Raimondo sounds like a tough teacher. What, can you give an example of one thing she pushed you to do, to go further on that, that you all did? Well, she, she definitely wanted us to go farther on testing, on red teaming, on external validation and the like. And that's one of the things we took to heart. Um, so yes, that was, there were important areas. Um, and I, I'll say she pushed us, but she was fair minded and she listened. And that's what you hope for from our leaders in government. So when you get into the room with Senator Majority Leader Schumer, what are you wanting to hear from him? Well, I think the Senator Schumer and others are going to be just moderating the conversation and they're going to be putting questions to us. So I'm just going to be listening very carefully to his questions in the hope that I can help answer them. And yeah, we've interacted enough with Senator Schumer and other Senate leaders, as well as on the House side, to know that People in Congress are learning fast and they're listening. Yeah, this is not the stereo, stereotypical view of your grandparents' Congress where people thought that members of Congress didn't understand technology. They may not understand every nuance the way somebody who works in the tech sector does, but they have been quick studies. And I expect they will push us, as they should, to explain what we think they should do and what we are prepared to do in areas like safety and security, in areas like the protection of consumers. I'll be surprised if there's not some real conversation about how to protect the integrity of our elections from interference from abroad or from the use of AI to create deep fakes. So I would guess that there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to cover a wide terrain. And one would hope, as one always does, that a good enlightening conversation will ensue. Well, you, you mentioned, obviously, the um, Blumenthal-Hawley framework. That's one example of sort of some of these initial proposals we're seeing. And Schumer has made reference to some type of comprehensive legislation, perhaps coming out of these forums. It, it seems like there is some splintering already happening in the Senate in terms of how they approach AI. Do you see it that way? Not necessarily. There's 100 senators. By definition, you're going to have a hundred views on what should be done. But I actually see some real convergence. I see some prioritization of common goals like, say, safety and security, the protection of people's privacy rights, their civil rights, the protection of children. The first thing I think one looks for is whether people are coming together to think about a problem in a similar way. Because you can't come up with a solution together if you're not thinking about the problem in a similar way. That's happening. Second, in a Washington, D.C. perspective, the work so far has been extraordinarily bipartisan. I mean, I think that's the real hallmark of 2023, that 
the Congress is, and both political parties are working together. They're listening before they decide. They're being thoughtful before they act. Of course, there will be differences that will emerge, especially on all the critical details, as you mentioned, but that's the nature of legislation. One of the fascinating things about the legislative process is if they're in session for 200 days a year, you can take an issue. They can disagree for 199 days, but if they come together on the 200th day and pass something important, it's a, an important year. And I think we may see that, at, not this year, but 2024 beyond, I would bet that we're going to see real laws emerge from Congress. There are certainly moments where Congress does seem to pull it out of pull it out at the last minute before, uh, you know, Christmas or August recess or whatever the the uh, moment of pressure is. I, I guess part of my question, you know, if you take an issue separate but related around data privacy, right? That's an issue where there seem to be a lot of commonality, you know, a lot of bipartisanship. But because of the details, you know, it's been years and we, we haven't seen kind of a comprehensive data privacy framework or, or law. And I, I wonder if AI is, is going to have a similar fate. You're right to raise the question. It hasn't been years. It has been decades. The European well, yeah. community pup, uh, pr approved its data protection directive in 1996. So we're getting close to 30 years later. There are more than 110 countries around the world that have passed a comprehensive privacy law. So the United States hasn't been a leader. It's been a laggard. So I think you're right to say, you know, can we really count on the Congress to come through? Let me just say I'm an optimist. I'm hopeful. Most of the time in life, people have a way of rising to the expectations that are set for them and the expectations they set for themselves. And if you look at the opinion polls Americans, I think, want to see action on AI. I actually yeah. think Americans want to see action on privacy. And I think we should all aspire to have a Congress that's ambitious. And again, in a very bipartisan way, where whether you're talking about Speaker McCarthy or Majority Leader Schumer, there is a real, not just commitment, but I see a determination to move forward in a thoughtful way. That's good news. I think that's good for everybody. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Well, the other question I wanted to ask you on this, you have bipartisanship, right? You have the questions of unity on the Hill. I've got to, I have to ask about unity within industry, you know, working with your peers at Meta and Amazon and, and Google how aligned are, do you think, kind of the tech companies are in what type of AI regulation they're willing to, to embrace and accept out of Washington? You know, Microsoft candidly has been out front on a lot of this and, and sort of, as you said earlier, come to the table first with some of its ideas. But we've seen time and again where sort of the internet companies don't all, internet and tech companies don't all have the same, uh, same embrace of a uh, DC as, as overseer, if you will. It's early days and we'll find out. And I think your question is a critical one. 
I will say in the conversations that I've had with others at Meta, you know, at Google, uh, at Anthropic, certainly at OpenAI, with whom we partner the most closely, I've been impressed by the common perspective. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to say yes or no to a licensing agreement in general or for specific purposes. But I think there is a broad appreciation that this technology requires that we sustain the public's confidence. And I don't think we'll sustain the public's confidence without the fundamental combination that exists in so much of the economy. You go to the grocery store and you rely on the companies that provide the food to be responsible, but you know that the USDA inspects food. And if a company does not stand up to its responsibility under the law, there will be accountability and consequences. And what's true for food is true for drugs and for cars and railroads and airplanes and much of modern life. And I find as I talk to folks in the tech sector, we're an industry that has been slow to come to the realization that law and regulation can make a market better if it's pursued in a practical and balanced way. But today, when I talk to people in the tech sector, they are thinking, I'll just say with maybe a little more experience and hopefully even a little more wisdom than we had a decade ago. Well, you mentioned public trust in, in AI, and I, I think there's also kind of Washington's trust in AI too, right? And, and how companies are going about developing it. There are some cybersecurity dimensions to that that I want to just chat Absolutely. on with you. You know, there there has been sort of a, a drumbeat of news lately around China and Chinese affiliated hackers, you know, accessing government email accounts, you know, through through kind of Microsoft platforms um, and questions about how protected those platforms are. You know, I guess, I guess maybe to start, what kind of reckoning, if you will, is happening for, you know, within Microsoft to address those concerns and kind of address um, those concerns, especially as... AI is coming into to the fore and, and you have this new powerful technology that may be even more um, uh, susceptible or, or useful, if you will, to bad actors. I think we always have to keep in mind a few things. At a company like Microsoft and really fundamentally across the industry, but I'll say especially at a company like Microsoft, we need once again to take the kinds of steps that will raise the bar and move us forward in terms of what we do. And I think that's going to require new engineering advances, especially in certain areas of protecting security as it relates to the cloud. Because as data moves to the cloud, bad actors try to go as well. Hmm. I think it means that we need to focus on AI. We need to focus on how AI can be used by bad actors, but frankly, even more than that, I believe that AI can and will be another game changer in defensive cybersecurity protection. Because so much of the cybersecurity challenge is in part detecting the threats, which is like looking for needles in the world's biggest haystacks. But AI is very good at detecting patterns amidst data. So we need to be completely committed to harnessing the opportunity that AI presents. And then there's a final aspect that I think is critical as well. We need governments to stand up and stand up together where they're like-minded. We need industry and the civil society and NGO community to join them. And we need, I think, increasingly to send a message. We understand that governments spy against 
each other. They spy on each other. That's been happening back to you know, antiquity. But you know, putting you know, tech, technology, you know, invading critical infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, you know, doing what we saw in the wake of the Maui wildfires and you know, spreading propaganda, sowing discontent or discord or even dissuading as we saw some propagandists do, people from trying to get the aid that they need from, say, an agency like FEMA, there have to be certain red lines. Something should be off limits. And I think we need the international community to come together and think anew about that as well. well my last question is just um, on the 2024 election, which we're political. We couldn't not ask uh, an election-related question. There was some research Microsoft put out recently about um, Chinese-affiliated ad actors essentially starting to use generative AI to develop misinformation around U.S. politics um, and sort of questions about how that might play into the 2024 election, which we've talked about deep fakes on the podcast here before. It's uh, a topic that is very, um, very hot in front of mind. What can, I guess, what is or could Microsoft do to help kind of combat um, that phenomenon or, or bring attention to that? And is that something that you... Uh, personally just have concerns about going into this next election cycle? Well, I think 2024 is going to be a critical issue for the future of democracy, in part because when we talk about the 2024 election, the first thing we have to ask is, are we talking about the election in the United States or the United Kingdom or India or for the European Parliament across the EU? Right. Because it's an election year for more than 2 billion people who live in a democratic society. And we need to keep in mind, I think, two critical goals. The first is, let's do everything we can to ensure that the AI advances that we're bringing to the market are not used and abused to sow propaganda, to try to deceive people, to use deep fakes to defraud individuals so that they embrace things that simply are not true. But second, let's use this technology, including AI, to detect when this is happening. Not just propaganda that is being generated by, say, the Russian government using artificial intelligence, but propaganda that is being used just using a word processing program and putting out information on social media. We have a much greater capability to use AI today to detect that more quickly. And then we have to figure out how do we let people know how do we encourage people to listen? An informed electorate fundamentally probably will always be the last and most important line of defense for an educated republic and democracy. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. You'll have to, to come back and uh, as we continue to follow all of this. Thank you. Nice to be here. That's all for Politico Tech today. Will you be in the room during today's AI forum? Send us the hot gossip at techpodcast at politico.com. And for more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you tomorrow.